0: Well I uh, want to uh, invite all the kids to go to the kids class at this time if they would like to do so we have if you're not aware a kids class that meets every Sunday just in this back room in the larger room here uh, it's more that you're more than welcome to use it if you would like you don't have to uh, but it's there for you if you desire to. Um, also there is a nursery that meets every Sunday just in the, the corner room over here that's fully staffed and also want you to know that that's available to you uh, if you would like to use that. <coughs> Uh, I want to invite you to join me this morning in the book of Proverbs chapter 5. We are in the middle of a sermon series on building healthy homes. And I think that each home uh, is made up of various people, men, women, parents, children, sometimes grandparents and others. And every person within a home or family plays a very important and significant role in the health of that home and the health of that family. Uh, and that's true whether the, the family's all under the same roof or not. Uh, you are a contributor to the health of your home and family. And so what I'd like to do over the next few weeks is look at various people that make up the home and that make up the family and the respective roles and responsibilities that co- God has called each one of us to, uh, regardless of, of where we fit in the home and regardless of whether we're all under the same roof or our, our home is intact or it's fractured, whatever the case may be. And so we start today with men. Uh, Men often drop the ball in society. I think that that is a very sad reality. Uh, But hopefully, as you look at Christian men, you see something very different. Uh, We have the Bible. We have uh, books like the book of Proverbs that remind and instruct us about what a wise man, what a wise husband, what a wise father and grandfather looks like and what he does. God wants us to succeed in our various roles as men, and he is there to help us do that. I think no matter who you are in your family or home, uh, God is there to help you. His grace is there. His word is there. He wants us to succeed. And because God has entrusted you as a man with such a vital and massive role in family and community life, uh, you must conduct yourself accordingly. God wants you to leave a mark. He wants you to make a lasting impact. And so what we're going to do here today is look at six practices of men who, by the grace of God, do leave a mark. And these are going to be really simple things uh, from the book of Proverbs. So here's the first one. First practice of a man who, by the grace of God, leaves a mark. First, be faithful to your wife. I've asked you to turn to Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Uh, before we get there, I just remind you that Solomon uh, told his son in Proverbs 18, verse 22, he said that he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and he, he works it this way, he obtains favor from the Lord. God is going to cast marriage in a very, very positive, positive light. In Proverbs 19, verse 14, he told his son that a prudent wife is from the Lord. A good wife, he says to, Solomon says to his son, son, that is a very, very precious gift to you from God. A very, very special gift. And yet, the reality is, is, is whether you have a, a good wife who loves the Lord and seeks to follow him, or maybe you have a difficult one, maybe you want a, a wife who ha- You're not even sure that she's put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God expects you to be faithful to her. You must reserve yourself for her. I think the average man would say that his sexual desires are strong, that they are constant, that they are unabating. And Solomon is speaking to his son, man to man, about these realities, and he's telling him that his wife is the only option for him to quench his sexual thirst. Look at Proverbs chapter five. Uh, I'll read verses 15 to 17, and then we'll skip down to verse 20 as well. Solomon writes this, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. And then skipping down to verse 20, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Um, All the water imagery in these verses relates to a man's wife. And and God is telling all of us as men, when a man is thirsty, he has one place where he can appropriately quench and satisfy his thirst. And that is his wife. A man's wife is his water, his fountain, and his stream. And he drinks only from there, and he does not share. God intends physical intimacy to be enjoyed by one man and one woman in the the marriage context for life. And that intimacy must be safeguarded. It must be protected. You need to reserve yourself for your wife, uh, whether you've found her and married her yet or not. Your hands, your eyes, your heart, and your affections must be for her and her alone. You need to reserve yourself for her, and, and on, on, with that, along with that, you need to enjoy yourself with her. Look at verses 18 and 19 in the middle of the other verses that we read. Solomon says to his son, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always with her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? As Solomon talks to his son about sex, it's not all negative. He's not like, hey, son, stay away from this. It's not this message of avoid this, avoid that, avoid everything. It's just all so bad. Run, run, run from everything. No, Solomon says, this is God's, and it's his, and it's good. And so Solomon portrays a very positive and beautiful picture for his son of the sexual relationship. And he goes, son, this is not dirty. But this is something that's healthy and it's clean and it's satisfying. And all of this water imagery, it's like a pure glass of cool cool water or an intoxicating drug in a really, really good sense. And son, that needs to be protected and that needs to be enjoyed. Enjoy yourself with your wife. And God wants you to leave a mark. And really so much of that in family life comes down to to simply being faithful to your wife. You need to run from sexual danger and fortify yourself against it. And I think the reality is, is most of us men are getting bombarded from every which direction all day long. There's a lot of danger. There's a lot of other potential fountains and places where you could go quench your thirst. And I think that all of us are in a great war, and I think we need to recognize that, and I think we need to be humble enough to know that almost all of us need help and accountability and the brotherhood and the body of Christ. And if you're struggling, I just want to encourage you, be, be humble enough to say, I, I need help. I need accountability. I need strength from, from the body. That's all of us. And cultivate intimacy with your wife in and outside the bedroom, you want that relationship to be strong in more than just a physical way. A healthy marriage, however, is certainly more than the physical. And that takes us to a second practice of men who leave a mark. And this is something really, really simple, but really good. Number two, appreciate and praise your wife. I want you to turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 31. It might sound like a same. Uh, a message that's primarily here going to be about men, it seems a little bit odd that we'd be turning to Proverbs 31, which is more or less about a woman. I think it's very easy for us men to take our wives for granted, and that is really, really to our shame. Many of us would literally self-destruct without our wives. I know I would. It would be like self-destruction probably within 36 hours. It would be bad. And Proverbs 31 gives us this woman who is remarkable, really in every way. And she looks a lot like Jesus Christ. She's kind, she's thoughtful, she's caring, she, she's diligent and extremely hardworking. She's responsible. She's a good mother. And so many other things. She she represents a beautiful beautiful ideal. And I want you to look at Proverbs 31, verse 28, and see how that is, how that, what that is met with. Proverbs 31, verse 28 says this. It says, her children rise up. And what do they do? They call her blessed. And what does her husband do? Her husband also. And he praises her. Her husband genuinely appreciates her, and that comes out on his lips, no doubt to her directly, and to other people about her. This is good. This is really positive. Now, let's be honest. When your wife reads this passage, if she's honest, she probably does not feel like she measures up very well to that ideal I mean, It's sort of like when you read about Jesus in the Gospels, and you're like, ooh, man, Like, I don't quite look like him. Well, that's this woman. She looks like Jesus. And so when you read about her, you're like, ooh, this is awesome, but I'm not quite there. And the reality is your wife may have some shortcomings just like you. But inasmuch as God, through his common grace and through his saving grace, has worked good in your wife's life, you should praise and appreciate her for that. Uh, you probably, I think here's the reality. A lot of times in, in marriages and with men, you probably tell your wife when something is wrong. Or when you're disappointed. And, and the fact of the matter is, is often in marriage, those honest conversations do need to happen. That something's not okay here. But does she hear a whole lot more from your lips about what you appreciate? Does she hear you praising her? Uh, I have to say that I'm not so great at this. I mean, like honestly and have so much room to improve. And I've uh, just been thinking about this in my own life over the last several weeks and thinking, you know, I, I, need, a, I, need, to, I need to make some strides here. <laughs> I need to grow in this department. And I was just looking at myself, how do I do this? Like, I want to do this. How do I do it? You know, like, I, I'm not just going to do this by accident. Um, and so for me, and you can laugh at me for this, my wife knows about this now. Uh, But several weeks ago, I decided that I was going to put a recurring reminder in my task management app uh, that I use to remind me to do this regularly. And it's been awesome. You know, it's like I I put everything in there, everything that I need to do. And so here it shows up. It's like, oh, okay, I want to pause. My wife is awesome. She's doing all kinds of sacrificial loving things. Maybe it'd just be good for me to pause for a moment. What is she doing? What can I say to her to express my love and appreciation? And it's been great. And the funny thing is, she now knows that it's in my app. And she doesn't care. (laughs) You know, I'm taking positive time to sit and think, what is wonderful about my wife? There's a lot. And I'm going to pause and think about that. And I'm going to share it with her. I have a ton of room to grow in that. And I think most of us do. And God wants you to leave a mark. And part of that is having a, a healthy marriage. So appreciate and praise your wife. And come up with a plan to do that very thing. I do not want to take this wonderful woman for granted. It's not the type of thing that you're going to regret when you praise and appreciate your wife. The next couple of practices have to do with being a father. And Solomon, he's going to say all kinds of of things about the spiritual side of that. And um, investing in your children spiritually for both mothers and fathers. And we'll come to some of that in the weeks to come. Uh, But today, we want to look at just more of some of the the statements that are of a more general nature. And so we come to a third practice of men who leave a mark. Recognize the place you occupy in the lives of your kids. (laughs) If you you can just recognize it. Turn to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6. You do not want to minimize your role in the life of your family and kids. (laughs) And... And it's easy for us to do this, I think, as men. You are so much more than the bring home the bacon guy. And I say that whether your family's intact or not. W- whether, whether your family is one where it's husband and wife and children, or whether your family is split up and divorced, and, and you're living in two separate homes, and maybe you don't even have custody of the kids, and maybe you hardly see them. If you're a father, if you have a heritage, you need to recognize the place that you occupy in the lives of your kids. Our society has minimized the role of men in the family and it it minimized the family's heritage. And a lot of men have walked away and been okay with that. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6 says this it says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And I particularly want to draw your attention to the next phrase the glory of children is their fathers. Now, just to be clear, I think fathers as it's used there is is not being used in a male specific way. I I think it's probably more just referring to parents. Your forefathers so to speak. Your parents and grandparents. But that would certainly include fathers. The glory of children is their fathers. We're going to come back to this verse in a moment but for now I just want you to notice the second half. The glory of children is their parents. What a What do kids glory in? Their heritage. Mom and dad. The glorying that children do is in their parents, and that includes dad. And you think about this for a moment, just what we know by experience. Your children glory in you nearly by default from the womb. Now, that may not always be true, but that's the general principle. That's the proverb. I have a few distinct childhood memories that I think convey this, and I would imagine as I share some of mine, you'll have some of your own come kind of flooding back to you unless your your house was just a total disaster, but even if it was broken, this is probably still true. I remember my three siblings and I piled on the couch uh, as kids. We were were sitting on it with our knees on it, uh, leaning over the back of it, which faced the door that my dad would come home in every night. And I remember all of us piled up on the couch. And as soon as dad walked it through the door, it was daddy's home. And we run to greet him before he could even set his stuff down with delight and excitement. I remember my dad sitting on the step that went from our dining room down to our living room. There's just kind of one, one step there. And sitting there talking to him and asking my dad if he would show me his muscles. And he did. And as he he raised up his arm and he flexed his bicep. And I mean, I'm sitting, I don't know what I am. This memory is, I don't know, maybe I'm four or five, six at the time. And I just remember thinking, my dad's arms are huge. Like they're massive. And then at recess, I boasted to my friends of how strong my dad was. And what do you think they did? Go, yeah, your dad's really strong. No, my dad's also really strong. I walked around the house in his size 12 shoes and I pushed my bubble lawnmower behind his real lawnmower wanting to be just like dad. You, you know these things to be true by experience. God wants you to, be to leave a mark. And part of that is you recognizing the place that you occupy in the lives of your kids. And I think men need to hear that and they need to be constantly reminded of it. I need to be. This is huge. And you'll never capitalize on what's been given you by default if you don't see it in the first place. And also, I just say, don't assume that because there's tension or disrespect, you know, these things tend to happen (laughs) in the teenage years or the young adult years, and you're just like, man, this is, like, my kid doesn't, wow. Don't assume that because there's tension or disrespect that the glory isn't there. This is a proverb. (laughs) And God is saying, here's the general principle, that more often than not, is true. And, and that glorying may be very, very veiled and hidden, but it's probably still there. And I'd also say that, the, you know, this verse saying that the glory of children is their fathers, I think it's, we're wise to focus on men for a moment. But as I said, that word is, it's really kind of looking, looking children looking back to their heritage, uh, father, mother family in general. And maybe you sit here, you, you know, you're single, <laughs> you're an aunt, you're an uncle, you're, you're not married, you don't have kids, whatever the case may be. Listen, there, there are probably young people looking back towards you and glorying in you, particularly in your family and home. Little nieces and nephews who think you're the greatest uncle ever, you're the greatest aunt ever, you're the greatest two ever. And if you can recognize that, That will help you by the grace of God leave a mark. As a father, you're more than a provider, but you are certainly not less than that. Number four, fourth practice of men who leave a mark is to provide for your descendants. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. Um, As you're turning there, uh, I'll read Proverbs 19, verse 14. It says that house and wealth are inherited from fathers. And again, the idea there is probably from parents. And Proverbs 13, where I've asked you to turn, says something quite similar. It says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That would be his grandchildren. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Well, so this verse, it's talking about generational wealth being passed on. And the man in this verse, he doesn't just provide for his family while he's around. He also seeks to help them in some way long after he's gone. He's not just providing for his children, but his grandchildren. It's your responsibility as a man to work hard to provide for your kids now. Failure to do that is shameful. Uh, The Bible tells us that anyone who doesn't provide for his family or his own household is worse than an infidel. Like, just shameful. However, you should also be trying to save and manage your money and your earthly treasure in such a way that someday you might have something to leave your children and grandchildren. And you know what? That that actually may not be much. And just an observation, this verse says nothing about dollar amounts. It may not be wise to give your children enormous amounts of money. Uh, So providence and wisdom need to be key determiners, but big picture, you're a provider uh, really all throughout your life and even after you're gone. That's a cool responsibility and a weighty one. I remember around the time I was in university, I I went to see my grandfather... uh, on summer break or something like that and i was at his house having lunch and uh, walked out the door and he says oh i i have something for you and it was a folded check and uh i opened it up it was for a thousand dollars well I, I wasn't expecting it at all you know it's just oh grandpa like you know what's this and you don't have to do this thank you like this is awesome <laughs> you know um At that time, it was just so helpful with school bills and things like that. And my grandfather said to me, I I just wanted to do some of this while I'm still alive. You know, not wait till I die. (laughs) Thank you. That was a real help to me. in a time uh, where I needed money to pay school bills and things like that, God wants you to leave a mark. And just practically, some of that involves providing for your descendants as God enables you to do so. And to do that with wisdom by the grace of God. Number five is to age well in righteousness and honor. Turn to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31. And as you're turning there, I want to read Proverbs 20, verse 29, a very similar verse to the one we're about to look at. And it says this, it says that the glory of young men is their strength. But the splendor of old men is their gray hair. I have a book entitled, In Praise of Old Guys. Um, I think it's a great title. And I think that these verses that we're about to look at are are really about that. In Praise of Old Guys. The magnificence of a young man is his strength. He's like a powerful workhorse. He has energy and muscle and vitality. But with age, the reality is, is that strength really starts to diminish. The magnificence of an old man, therefore, is not his strength, but his gray hair and what that represents, or at least what that should represent. Um, This verse reminds me of what you see, perhaps, in a pickup game of basketball or hockey or some other sport, uh, when it ends up being the young guys versus the old guys. Uh, Who do you think is going to win that game? Let's say it's basketball. And it's a pickup game. You've got five young guys, say high school, uh, 17 to 19 years old. And you've got uh, the quote-unquote old guys in contrast to those guys. Maybe the old guys are at this point, they're like 35 to 50 or whatever, 60. Who's going to win that game and why? Well, each side has their respective advantage. The young guys are typically fast, they're strong, they're explosive, they're in shape, they have an extremely high stamina. I mean, let's just be honest. Physically, they have every advantage. Their glory is their strength. What about the old guys? What do they have going for them in that game? Well, the old guys have a lot more experience in the game itself. They tend to be a lot smarter. They pass the ball well. Hey, we're just going to move this ball around until we get an easy shot. (laughs) They rarely turn the ball over. They're patient. They're not flashy. You know, they're probably wearing their outdated basketball gear from when they were in high school. But fundamentally, they're sound, and so they score easy buckets. Their glory is their age, experience, and wisdom on the court. Both have their respective strengths, and they are exactly that. And if this is true in the game of basketball or hockey or whatever else, it's exponentially more so in the game of life. And so why don't we just look for a moment a little bit deeper at aging well in an advantageous way for your family and for your community and society so that you make an impact. I've asked you to turn to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31. Let's look at that verse. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It's like a crown of glory, like what a king wears. Uh, Gray hair sitting upon an old man's head is like a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Proverbs conveys that a wicked life tends to be a short life. And here we have the antithesis that longevity is the reward of a righteous life. Now, just to be clear, these are proverbs. We, we always want to remember, as we're in Proverbs in particular, what genre, so to speak, of literature are we in? These are proverbs, these are general principles that more often than not prove true, but they are not promises. Some righteous people will die young, and some wicked people will just seem to live on and on and on. But the general principle is that righteousness and longevity coincide. The one is the fruit of the other. So going back to our verse, I think what you have in it is is this verse takes two wonderful things that on their own are awesome and great and good, and it makes a glorious combination. And we do this kind of thing. Uh, For example, what if you were to combine peanut butter that's really good. I like peanut butter. It's got a lot of good things going for it. It's a really good thing. And what about chocolate? Also a really good thing. What if you take them both and you put them together, right? And then you've got a Reese's cup or something really, really awesome. Uh, what if you do it with beef, Alberta beef, a big old juicy burger, and you combine it with, you combine the cow with the pig, right? You take beef and you take bacon and you put them together and you make the bacon cheeseburger. It's awesome, Okay, look at this verse and ask yourself this question. What are the two awesome things that standing alone are incredible and when put together are amazing? Two things. The one is righteousness, a righteous life. And the other is old age or longevity. What happens when you thrust those things together, you wed those things together? Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful combination. This verse gives us a picture of a man who has lived a righteous life and he's grown in godliness all along the way. And now his white hair sits upon his head like a crown of glory and honor. What you want is to age well along the way in righteousness and honor. And as your strength slowly and steadily declines over the decades, as it will. Simultaneously, your, your righteous life and your growth in godliness should be incrementally increasing. And the strength declines and the righteousness is there with the gray hair. God wants you to grow in godliness and spiritual maturity. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. There are many foods and drinks that are said to get better with age. Uh, cheese is said to be one of them. I, I've never made cheese. I really like cheese. Uh, aging certain cheeses apparently helps them improve their, improves their flavor, their texture, their color. I mean, actually something that you may have not thought about is when you eat beef, for example. You know when they took that massive slab of meat off the cow? They, what did they do with it? What, like, happened next? it probably hung up for I don't know how many days it is. And why was it just hanging there? Well, my understanding, it was hanging there rotting. (laughs) Why? Well, as it's being aged like that, it's actually starting to break down and tenderizing and getting better with time. And that's what God wants to happen for us as men. You may be breaking down. And yet God wants you to get better with time. God really, really wants you to leave a mark. And if if you, by the grace of God, age well in righteousness and honor, you will do that very thing. There is something just extremely stabilizing about godly older men and family, society, and church life. I mean, it's incredible. You take all of those life experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, not, not just the positive ones, all of them, You take all the successes, you take all the failures, and you take all those things gone through with the Lord and come out better on the other side. And grown along the way, the value that is there. What a great blessing you you can be to your family and church. Think stability, think think firmness, think rock. Sometimes men don't age well. Over the decades, they don't navigate life's difficulties, disappointments, hurdles, and heartaches very well. Sometimes what happens is as those difficulties come, men become jaded, they become sour, grumpy, self-focused, and their gray hair, meant to be a crown of glory, is in many ways a crown of shame. As I think about this, I think it's similar to how birch firewood ages. Have you ever Uh, try to use birch for your firewood and depending on where you got it and how it was stored really makes a big difference Um, birch it seems like it either uh, dries out and ages really well and burns really great i mean the 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 bark is amazing but if that stuff gets wet if it gets soggy it is complete garbage and i I think there's very very something very very similar with how we age You're going to age well, and and you're going to bring a lot of value if you do, or you're going to get soggy and rotten the longer this goes on. One study found that men reach their physical peak between their late 20s and early 30s, and then their glory, their strength begins the process, we might say, of decline. And often men get so frustrated because they don't have the glory of a young man anymore. But that glory is bound to fade. We know it will. The question is, do you have the glory of an old man? And is that glory growing and developing? Is is that what, by the grace of God, God is doing in your life because you're, you're cooperating with him and you're walking with him? Every family, household, church, and society needs the weight, stability, and glory of godly older men who have decades of imperfect but righteous life behind them. God wants you to be that man and he wants you to grow into that man. And if that's going to happen, you have to walk with God all along the way. I mean, if you've got these big gaps where you're just, yeah, well, there's not really much going on between you and God. You have to walk with God and you have to wrestle through life's difficulties with him, the good, the bad, and, and the ugly. Central to that, walk, that, that growing in godliness and aging well is your personal time with God and his word. And as you go through all the good, the bad, the ugly, the bumps, the hurdles, the difficult things at home and church and family, you do that with your Bible and say, God, change me, help me, I'm going to obey you. God wants you to grow through all of life's experiences with your Bible open and humble submission to him. And if you do that, and it's going to be messy, it's going to be flawed, you're going to do a lot of stupid things, say a lot of stupid things, probably sin a lot. By the grace of God, you keep growing. Oh man. The weight and glory of godly older men. Finally, number six. Sixth practice of a man who by the grace of God leaves a mark. Strive to build a respectable heritage. I want you to turn back to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6. We've already been in this verse. But as we read it, I want you to think heritage. Because this is a verse that really is about a family's heritage and the way that pride in one's family and its heritage is there nearly by default, as we've already seen, and it travels down a two-way street between generations. Proverbs 17.6 says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. The young look backward at their fathers and forefathers, and the old look forward at their grandchildren. And both take a sense of pride from the other. This was certainly true of the family of Israel. Everyone looked back to their great forefather, Abraham. As Jesus interacted with the Jewish people, they are like, well, we're children of Abraham. So much pride, so much heritage in Abraham. And Abraham looked forward to his heritage that would be as many in number as the stars of the sea, or stars of the sea, starfish, yeah. Um, the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. Grandchildren are the crown of the ages. And as a general rule, and most of us know this to be true, grandparents take great pleasure and delight in their grandkids. My wife talked to one grandmother who literally pulled an entire picture frame out of her purse to show off all the grandchildren. Right? Like, this is a thing. <laughs> we all know it. The glory of children is their fathers. That, as we have mentioned, is a place and position. Or position your children almost give you by default. What do godly men do when they look at this principle and, and this, this idea that heritage is important and everyone values it almost by default? What do godly men do? Well, godly men strive to build a respectable heritage. In fact, we might even say that they see beyond a single generation and the children even right in front of them. And they seek to chart a course for generations that will follow them. They seek to live the type of godly life that their kids and grandkids can respect and follow and and not defile what would be there by default, this children glorying in their grandparents and their parents. I want want to live that life of, of walking before God where my children can respect me, not because I'm some great person, but because God has changed my life and is working in and through me. And don't underestimate the impact of one man on generations to come. You are writing your family's history. This proverb highlights the default nature with which we elevate our heritage. We want to take pride in our parents and grandparents, and we want to take pride in our kids. And I think that the default way in which we naturally do this, I mean, this is what we do. This is the proverb. This is how it is, God says. That dynamic makes it all the more painful when our heritage, whether that heritage uh, be in front of us or behind us, disappoints us. The pain, sorrow, and agony are real and deep. And I just want to encourage you, don't give up on your heritage. Keep investing in it. Even if it seems like a losing investment, you're taking it on the chin for whatever reason. I know one set of Christian parents (coughs) whose daughter married her girlfriend. And as parents, they grieved over that. They did not approve. And they did their best to maintain a loving relationship with their daughter in a very complicated, messy situation. These two young women decided that they wanted to raise children together. And so they found a man who would be willing to be a donor for them. And nine months later, one of them gave birth to a little boy. And the grandfather said this something along these lines to me. He said, "My wife and I are going to really try to invest in this little boy and And this man recognized the dynamic at play, and he said this he said, "I may represent the only Christian man and and our our marriage may represent the only Christian marriage that this little boy ever sees or knows, and I don't want to waste that you know generally speaking." You don't choose your heritage or their decisions in either direction. You don't choose your parents or how they live. Unless you adopt, you don't even choose your children. And as they get older, they may make their own decisions and those may be disappointing. There's a lot you don't get to choose. But what you can choose is to, by the grace of God, try to love them to the degree that they will let you and invest in your heritage if they will let you do so. And if they won't, and I mean, you've been so far removed, you can always go to the Lord and pray, God, I love my heritage, and I want it to please you. Give me the grace to invest in it, whatever that means, to whatever degree you've let me do it. God wants you to leave a mark, so strive by his grace to build a respectable heritage by personally being a man, God, being the man God wants you to be for your heritage, and investing in them to the best of your ability, even if that's limited and not what you had in mind. Because God has entrusted you with such a vital and massive role in family and community life. God wants you to conduct yourself accordingly. God wants you to leave a mark. and it, it, He's there to help you. And he's given you his word. And I just encourage you, th- these are simple things. I don't think anything I said is probably like some news flash, right? But they're things we need to hear And where does all of this start? Well, Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to be a godly man, it all starts with your personal relationship with God and his saving, transforming grace in your life. And he is then the source from which you draw all the grace. Because there's not enough in you to do this right. You're going to blow it and fail. You're going to have to ask for forgiveness. You're going to have to keep going back to the gospel and what Jesus Christ did to save you from your sins. You're going to have to keep going back for wisdom and help and all those things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me at this time?